If you have your Bible tonight, I'd like for you to turn to Matthew 10, verse 4, the second part of verse 4. We're going to do the last one of the uh, apostles tonight. We have been going through these and mentioning what they said, what they did, the emphasis of their life, that sort of thing. And really every time it's been kind of a glorious uh, testimony uh, to men that basically gave their lives for the Lord. Tonight it's different. Tonight uh, we're dealing with the last and the worst. And uh, we're going to uh, spend these moments uh, thinking about what he did wrong. And why he did it. The scripture says, verse 4, And Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed uh, Jesus. Among the twelve apostles, one guy stands out. He was a lonely figure. He was a despicable figure. Uh, he was arrogant. Uh, he hid who he really was from uh, the other men. Uh, he was a tragic misfit, though he hid it uh, very, very well. He is the vilest, most wicked man, some commentators say, in all the scripture. Uh, the lists of the apostles, he's always named last, with the exception being Acts 1.13. Uh, he is always identified as Jesus' betrayer. For over 2,000 years, the name Judas Iscariot is a name that uh, is a byword for treachery. Nobody names their baby Judas. Uh, nobody names their baby. You know, you think of some really bad people. Uh, nobody names their baby Judas. And, of course, the reason is obvious. Judas was a very common name in New Testament times. Uh, one of the other apostles had that as kind of a, a co-name. You remember Thaddeus? Uh, we talked about his name. He was uh, uh, called Judas sometimes and Thaddeus uh, sometimes. No human being has ever been less directed by the Lord or less worthy of praise than Judas Iscariot. Uh, Iscariot means a man of Kerioth. K-E-R-I-O-T-H. It's a, a town about 35 miles south of Jerusalem. Uh, he is the only apostle whose name has his geographical identification in his, in his name, uh, possibly because he was the only Judean uh, among the 12. All the others, including Jesus, were from Galilee in the north. Judas was always listed among the 12 apostles, but we don't have any record of him being called. We don't have any record of how that happened, what Jesus did, how, how that transpired. You know, a lot of them, we, we know all about it, but in, in this case, we know nothing about it, which is very uh, interesting. He first appears in Matthew's listing uh, no indication as to where or how Jesus called him. Obviously, he was attracted to Jesus, and he stayed with Jesus from the first to the last. He stayed till the very last. There were a lot of would-be hangers-on to Jesus. 
people that uh, thought, gosh, isn't he great? And, and they followed and they wanted to see the miracles and they wanted to uh, be a part of the biggest thing that was happening in the whole area. And they just loved uh, listening to Jesus, hearing what he would say next. But as time went on, they would fall away. They would kind of drop off. And it got down to where it was the 12. And Judas was there. He stayed uh, till the very, very end. Uh, There is no evidence that Judas ever had a spiritual interest in Jesus. Now, he had some interests in other things. There's no question about that. It's likely from the beginning that he expected Jesus to be the religious ruler of the whole area. And his desire was that Jesus would be the political and military leader of the whole area as well. He wanted Jesus to come to the forefront and take over. And he thought that he obviously could. If he wanted to, he could do anything he wanted to. Judas knew the power of Jesus. Uh, Judas knew that Jesus could speak a word and that would happen. Uh, He wanted to use his association with Jesus for selfish reasons. Uh, He saw that Jesus could do these unbelievable miracles. He knew that could raise huge, huge crowds anywhere in the world that he went. And he knew he had a mastery over the multitudes when he spoke. What he said, what Jesus said, made so much sense and had such spiritual depth to it that everybody wanted to uh, be in on that. And Judas recognized that, and he wanted to take advantage of it. Christ chose Judas intentionally and specifically If you want to look in uh, John 6, 64, uh, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. So from the very first, Jesus knew what Judas was about and what Judas was going to do. At the Last Supper, Jesus uh, said, Behold, the hand of the one betraying me is on the table at the same time as mine. Well, uh, he said the Son of Man is going to be uh, betrayed. And woe is it to the man that does that. Now, if you've just seen all the powerful things that Jesus can do, When Jesus said this, you would think that uh, Judas would uh, rethink everything and get his life in line. You know, if somebody can speak and the wind stops, if he tells you that woe be to you, you know, wouldn't you think, I mean, I would think, uh, gosh, I got to straighten up here because it's very, very obvious that I'm on the wrong path. I'm doing the wrong thing. I got to straighten it up. Well, in Judas' rejection of Christ, there is the same apparent paradox as there is in some other uh, theological issues uh, about sovereignty and human will. Uh, Although a person to receive Christ has to make a personal volitional choice, 
We know uh, from Scripture, John 1.12, John 3.16, Romans 1.16, we know that that's true. But we also know that every believer was chosen before the foundation of the world. Now, some people call that one thing and some people call it another thing. I call it the foreknowledge of God. You know, God knows what we're going to do. But we are not puppets on a string and and we have to do it as he kind of takes us around uh, with strings on us, pulling our strings to say every word, to do every action. Well, Judas uh, was a paradox because he was one that uh, had these desires, uh, but he was also with the Christ, with the Messiah. He knew what was coming. He knew that Jesus could do anything. And yet, uh, you know, he couldn't break away. He just couldn't break away from the materialistic bent uh, that he had. Judas' outward personality must have been commendable because nobody ever got on him about anything. You would think if you had a traitor in the crowd that people would notice that. You would think that people would figure him out. You know, some people say, well, I can figure anybody out in about 20 minutes. Well, he was with these guys day and night for three and a half years. And not one of them knew what was in his heart. Not one of them. Jesus knew, but they didn't know. Well, before the actual betrayal, uh, they didn't criticize him for any deficiency. We don't have any of that in Scripture. When after three years of training... Jesus predicted, he said, one of you is going to betray me. I mean, that fell like a bomb in the middle of the group because they were all thinking, well, who in the world would do that? We're all followers. We've been with him for three and a half years. What in the world is he talking about? We're not going to betray him. We love him. We're willing to give our life for him. Well, one by one, they came up to Jesus and said, Is it me? Am I the one? Am I going to do that? I don't want to do that. Tell me I'm not going to do that. You know, they were all kind of wondering, well, what what, what is this? You know, we didn't know that that was going to happen. Certainly it's not me. You know, I'm a follower. I'm an apostle. I'm here. I'm here for the duration. And yet, as we look at Scripture, Matthew 26, 22, that each one came to him and said, Surely not I, Lord. They wanted to make sure. Because he was never suspected by the other disciples, uh, Judas must have been a remarkable hypocrite. I mean remarkable. Uh, He had even been selected as the treasurer of the group. Now, who do you select as the treasurer, the person that you trust the most? Because they have the box with the money in it. You know, that's the person you trust the most. And they had chosen him. Well, uh, most of the other disciples, uh, he was like them. He was respectable. He had uh, probably lived a very religious life. The one thing that was different about him was that he was from a different area. And they really didn't have kind of some local uh, 
uh, commentaries from people about, about him. Uh, they didn't know what the people from his area said about him. And so that was a little different. That was the uh, thing. You know, they knew that he wasn't a traitor like Matthew had been, cheating everybody out of their money. And he wasn't a murderer like Simon the Zealot had been. They knew that. But they, they, they didn't really know anything else. They didn't know his heart. They didn't know his motive. They didn't know where he was going. They just didn't know. Well, Judas apparently guarded what he said. We only have one instance of his words being recorded. You remember where it was in Scripture? He spoke when Mary was anointing Jesus' feet with that expensive ointment. He spoke up and said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? John 12, 5. Well, there's a real interesting thing here in scripture. John, who uh, really had a great heart for the Lord, he didn't know this at the time, but decades later, when John wrote his gospel, Evidently, the Lord somehow or another revealed this to him specifically. And he was able to say, now he said this, not because he was concerned about the poor, about, you know, the expensive uh, ointment. He didn't say it because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief as he had the money box he used to pilfer what was put into it, verse 6. This is decades later he wrote this. So, you know, the only way he could have known that, he didn't know it at the time, the only way he could have known that was for God to reveal it uh, to him. Well, Judas was probably one of the youngest disciples. He was likely uh, an outwardly patriotic and zealous uh, Jew. He was probably, uh, you know, what everybody thought, he was all in with him. Uh, he wasn't as radical as Simon the Zealot, but he was anxious for the Romans to be thrown off. Uh, they were very oppressive. They were killing people. Uh, they ruled with an iron hand. They were just terrible people. And Judas wanted them gone. And he thought all the way through this three-and-a-half-year period, he thought, uh, Jesus is the one to do it. Jesus can do it. If he wants to do it, he can do it. He's got the power. He's got the power of Almighty God. He can do anything he wants to do. So he knows that. Well, uh, Judas was first of all a materialist. He stole from the treasurer's box. He was more concerned about the money at each instance, and he was concerned about his future. He could just see Jesus taking over all the religious apparatus of the day and all the political apparatus of the day. He could just see that, and he thought, now when that happens, here I'm the treasurer of this group. Guess what I'm going to be? I'm going to be secretary of the treasury. I'm going to be the head of IRS. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be the head man. 
But, uh, of course, that wasn't to be. Uh, He wanted earthly benefits to a restored Jewish kingdom. Uh, He was uh, satisfied with the material blessing that would come his way. He wasn't concerned at all about the spiritual welfare of the situation. In the Orient, a host would always uh, honor uh, the guest, uh, the main person that was at the meal, with giving them the first sop, uh, a little piece of bread that he would dip into a mixture of fruit and nuts. Uh, they, the, the honored guest would get the first sop. Well, that's what happened. At the last supper, Jesus offered the first sop to Judas. Yet at the very moment uh, that the Lord expended this special honor to Judas, the scripture says, this is, you you just can't hardly believe this. Uh, John 13, 27 says, at that very moment, Satan entered him. Satan entered him. I mean, we know the specific second that this happened, when he gave his heart over to the devil. Before that, he had been a materialist. Before that, he had had evil designs on everything. Before that, he was thinking about his future and not about Jesus' ministry. But at that very moment, John 13, 27, Satan then entered into him. And Satan took over his life. For three years, Judas had hoped at the triumphal entry. It would be a real triumph. That Jesus would, at that occasion, here he's got all this big crowd with him. Everybody knows about him. Everybody's following him. He thinks, boy, this is the time. Jesus has been building up to this very moment, and he's going to do it right now. Right now. He just could almost name the moment when Jesus was going to stand up and say, Uh, I am the rightful heir to David. I'm taking over right now. And he would get the crown. And he would be in charge. He, He just knew that that was the climactic moment, waiting for the crowd to fully recognize his messiahship, his right to the throne of David. He would ascend to the throne by popular demand. He would just be swept into office. No question. But when Jesus rejected the crowd's crown, and instead he began to teach even more earnestly about the time that he was going to be tortured and put to death, Judas is sitting there thinking, good night. What's the matter with him? He's got everything going his way. He can do it. This is the minute. He's saying the wrong thing. I'm sure he wanted to walk up to the uh, place on the mountain where Jesus was speaking and say, No, don't say that for crying out loud. Say this. It was just wrong. Everything about it was wrong. It was the perfect Opportunity and Jesus was letting it just slip through his fingers. Judas knew that Jesus could speak the word 
and every Roman soldier in the area would drop dead. He knew that Jesus could do that. He knew that Jesus could raise his hand and stop an oncoming army. He knew that. And he thought, good night. Why? Why is he doing what he's doing? That's crazy. Who wants to be tortured? Who wants to die? That's just insane. When you've got that much power, and then to let guys, you know, stick a sword in your side, what in the world? When Jesus turned his back on the crown offered by the multitude, Judas turned his back on Jesus. That was the moment. He could no longer restrain his vile, wretched motives for self-glory and gain. He'd given a glimpse of his true self when he was more concerned about that money for that expensive ointment than he was for Jesus uh, going through torture and death. Well, throughout church history, in the name of compassion, have you ever been in a conversation where you were talking with somebody about whether or not Judas was saved? I've been in a number of those conversations. People over the years have said to me, "Uh, Pastor, do you think Judas was saved? Do you think he was a Christian? And my answer was always the same. Uh, Well, If he trusted in Christ as his Lord and Savior, I think he was saved. But he never did. But he never did. Some people have tried to attribute a good motive to Jewish, to Judas's betrayal, say, you know, he was trying to urge Jesus on and he was just kind of misguided. No. No, that's not right. That's not what scripture says. I've mentioned those verses tonight that speak about this being in the plan of the Lord. So it's never really been a question. Jesus' own specific words speak out. If you don't believe that, then you're calling uh, God a liar. Uh, To make Judas Judas appear better than he is, is to take uh, the word of God and just say, well, that's wrong. Every unsafe person is under Satan's control and, and serves Satan's will. If you're not a believer, you're on the other team. You have to be on this team or that team. Nobody's sitting it out. You're on one team or the other. When Judas accepted the morsel from Jesus' hands without repentance, without regret, Satan took possession of him in a frightening way. As I mentioned, John 13, 27. Now Jesus didn't, uh, wasn't betrayed by a split-second thing that Judas uh, decided to do. Uh, we're not told when the idea came to him, but it was probably... At the anointing, you know, with that oil, when he saw that that wasn't going to go right, uh, it prompted him uh, to go to the chief priests and say to them in Matthew 26, what are you willing to give me 
to deliver Jesus up to you. After accepting the 30 pieces of silver, uh, from then on, uh, he began looking for a great opportunity to betray our Savior. Uh, Luke uh, adds that he sought a good opportunity to betray him apart from the multitude. Why does it say apart from the multitude? Because there was a lot of people in the multitude that would stand up to, for Jesus all the way. They would die for him. So Judas wanted to do this when the multitude wasn't around. When there were a lot of soldiers around and not many other people. Because he was afraid that somebody would turn on him if he was the one doing the betraying. And that he'd die. He didn't want to die. You know, Jesus might want to die, but he didn't want to die. So he's saying, uh, you know, uh, I'll find the right time, the right place, and I'll let you know. I'll let you know by a kiss. I will give Jesus a kiss. And then you'll know which one it is. It's uh, difficult to determine the equivalent value of these uh, 30 pieces of silver. We don't know what size coin it was. So we don't know the value. But it wasn't worth very much. It certainly wasn't worth a man's life. And it certainly wasn't worth the savior of all mankind's life. And, and Judas uh, uh, began to, to think about this. Um, you know, the, the little bit that he got for it is, is symptomatic of, of him saying basically to himself, I just want to get this over with. I just want to get this over with and get out of this. So he's going to get what he can. Here's the materialism coming out again. I want to get what I can and I want to get out of here. And so that's the plan. So that his enemies could recognize Jesus in the, gar- in the darkness of Gethsemane, the signal in Mark 14, 44, whomever I kiss, he's the one. And he goes up and used the cherished mark of love and friendship as a sign of his betrayal. He goes up and kisses the Lord. James says in James 1.15, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Judas' sin caused him to sell out Christ, to sell out his apostle friends, we thought, and to sell out his own soul. When Jesus has been found guilty by the mock trial of the Sanhedrin and was turned over to Pilate, Judas felt remorse, the scripture says, and went back and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned by betraying an innocent man. He said that to the rulers. So even the very worst person has this moment of contrition. He goes back, he tries to give it back to them. Apparently Judas failed in his attempt to hang himself. He couldn't even do that right. 
Luke reports that at the time of his death, it may have been that the branch broke. But we know that uh, he fell over a precipice and he went down a hill falling headlong. Scripture says that he burst open in his middle and his bowels came out. That's what the scripture says. Well, God overturned the wickedness of Jesus' betrayer and the executioners and used it to fulfill his own word. You know, there's a lot of prophecy about all of these things. And they come true, one right after another. Every one comes true. Just like clockwork. This one, then this one, then this one, then this one. They come true. Even those who bitterly opposed the Lord's will found themselves unwittingly fulfilling his word. I want to close tonight with a real, real short poem that is full of uh, meaning. Still as of old, man by himself is priced. For 30 pieces of silver, Judas sold himself, not Christ. And that's what he did. He sold himself. Well, I was wrong this morning. Somebody did join on Adultery Sunday. (laughs) And I wonder if there's somebody in the house tonight that would like to join. I hope there is. We always have the door open. Because we want people to take steps in the right direction. Steps toward faith and adherence to the word of God. Tonight we're going to sing a hymn. I'm going to stand at the front. If you'd like to make your allegiance to Christ as your Lord and Savior, or if you'd like to come and join our church, if you'd like to rededicate your life. You know, sometimes people want to come up and kneel. Uh, you can kneel here at the, at the altar, uh, kneel at this uh, first pew here, and pray. One of our staff will come over and pray with you. However you feel led of the Lord tonight. Just slip out and do that, which would bring honor and glory to Jesus. I'll be standing here at the front waiting on you to come. Let's stand and sing together.